Bible reading is taken from Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13 and then verse 20 to 25. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Verse 20. Long ago, you tore off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, The stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. How can you say, I am not defiled, I have not run after the Baals? See how you behaved in the valley, consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves, At mating time, they will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. Amen. Hi, everyone. Lots of us have gone. It's like half the church. (laughs) It's a little bit sad when I see, oh, there's lots of people here today. That's good. And then children go out. (laughs) <laughs> um, Jane asked me just before uh, we started is it going to be like one of your normal talks where you talk about what's the right thing to do um, and I thought well 
Yes, it is Joan, but I, I, I didn't choose the passage. So. <laughs> Let's pray. Um, uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would encounter you, the Lord of grace, that your mercy has triumphed over judgment. And Lord, may we have ears to hear and hearts to receive um, and a, a vulnerability to be able to recognize the places in our own lives where you would desire change and freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. So for, thanks, Darren. Um, great. Uh, we need God, forsaking the living water for the stagnant water of counterfeit gods. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot Hold water. You had me, the living God. You had life, but you chose the work of your own hands. Cheap counterfeits. You drank salt water, but not like salty sea water, but brackish water. Water that's maybe not obviously salty, but doesn't quite quench, leaves you unsatisfied. This is um, a series of sermons that Jeremiah gives as if speaking in the Lord's voice. It's the Lord speaking to Israel, uh, but he's speaking to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. You probably know if you know much about, you can tell who went to really good Sunday schools of the kind of Christians that know the history between the northern and southern kingdoms. It's taken me about 10 years to work out. But um, So uh, after Solomon... Israel splits into uh, the ten tribes of the north and the two tribes of the south, Judah and Benjamin, basically around Jerusalem and the surrounding towns. Uh, The northern tribes are the first to be wiped out, taken away uh, by the Assyrians, and they do return, and there is a remnant, but they become what in Jesus' time were the Samaritans. Uh, So they're more or less wiped out or their cultural heritage is corrupted. And then you have uh, the the two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin, of which uh, technically the other tribes are present because many of them left uh, under the reign of a certain king, um, Abimelech, I think, who... um, uh, committed idolatry and many of the people in the tribes, the Levites and the priests, left. So there actually, there are all 12 tribes present within the southern kingdom, but it's mainly Judah and um, Benjamin. So Israel in the north has been completely wiped out and it looks like this is the beginning of the end for the kingdom of Judah. This is the end of the Israel project, that, uh, that Israel would be a light to the nations. Kind of a, uh, so sad that what had such great promise and in the beginning is uh, now failing. Thirsty. What do we do with our appetites? Oh, it's really dark, isn't it? But it's kind of even better. 
Uh, does anyone know who this guy is? Gabor Mate. This is amazing, um, wrinkled, wise face. He's a therapist who has lived out his life's work amongst the addicts of downtown Vancouver in Canada. He's written the most. He's written loads of incredible and honest books. But, um, one that I read last year in the realm of hungry ghosts. How. Addiction is fueled by trauma, often the trauma that we may have gone through through childhood. Doesn't, it could be a very, something that's very abusive, but sometimes not. Sometimes just not receiving the adequate love and attention, affection that maybe children ought to receive. That, that, can, be, uh, that, that can be the root of addiction, that trauma. Um, and it hollows us out, degrades our humanity, takes away our agency. Hungry, thirsty ghosts is the metaphor of the um, title of the book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Roaming the earth in search of something to restore them to their humanity, restore them to themselves, searching for release in a heroin hit or the oblivion of an alcoholic binge or the search for completeness of the sex addict. But the reason the book is so powerful is he recognizes his own addiction. Um, and it sounds trivial when you first, he first talks about it. But um, he has an addiction to shopping, uh, but a very specific kind of shopping, shopping for uh, opera CDs. He'll spend hundreds, thousands of dollars on rare opera CDs, sometimes that he doesn't even listen to. He just hoards them. And it's become a compulsion. He describes uh, stories where he, he had made an intention at the beginning of the week that he wasn't going to buy any opera CDs this week. And he finds himself at the store with the CD um, and with the crinkle of the paper bag and the smell and... Um, and it's become very problematic in his life. It's become a great rift between him and his wife. He finds he tells lies. He tells lies to himself. He covers his tracks. He hides his credit card details. Um, and uh, it's insert. He says like the addicts that he deals with at work, their poison is heroin. But he, he suffers with an addiction that comes from the trauma of his own childhood, an insatiable itch that cannot be sated. And this is the thing with our thirsts. They so often involve what the Bible calls idols, ultimately counterfeits that in the end are vacuous. Anyone um, like the author David Forster Wallace? Has anyone read any of his stuff? Yeah, amazing author, but... Tra tragic, uh, not a Christian. I think you would say he was an atheist, and yet this is, I'm going to read a quote from him. Uh, he, he struggled with depression and addiction throughout his life, uh, quite a short life. Um, but let me read this to you. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. 
And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are the things you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Or as God through the prophets speaks um, in verse 5 of our passage, they followed worthless idols and became like them. What's wrong with the world and what's wrong in my world? Um, reading from verse 19. Your wickedness will punish you Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord Almighty. You have no awe of me. Um, What's wrong with the world is the same thing that's wrong in my life. I forget God. I don't hold him in awe. My life isn't ordered around the love of him, the remembrance of him, so that I live my life to please him. The Bible calls a failure to orientate our lives around God as as sin. We live amongst a cult of victimhood. I don't know whether you've seen that. Um, It's so important to realize that many of our behaviors that we find problematic, that we wish we could change, are rooted in trauma and as we were thinking about Gabor Mate, often trauma that we received when we had no agency as children, uh, often from the people uh, who were meant to care for us. And, and the, the difficult thing is often they were doing their best. Um, and it is so helpful to discover the wounds in the process and be in a process of healing. But there is a temptation, especially in our time, for our wounds to define us, to become our identity, and also to excuse us. I I, I am like this, or I do this thing because of uh, this thing that happened to me. Um, But I know know personally, the the most, probably the most painful part of healing uh, for me, uh, and and, and it's a journey and a process, is um, to get out of underneath wallowing in my own victimhood, what others have done to me and recognizing my own responsibility and how things fall apart and how things have fallen apart. There seems to be two kinds of judgment in regards to sin that we find in scripture. Uh, the, the first one I find very uncomfortable um, is the, the active judgment of God against sin, that, uh, which it is there. You know, I can't just deny that it's not there in scripture. It is there. Um, But what's emphasized more in this passage is something that I see more logical and more uh, just the way of 
the world, perhaps even the way of nature, is a passive judgment. Um, that uh, we're killing ourselves. You know, yet, yes, it may be because what others have done to us, but freedom is not found without confession and exercising our God-given agency, the power to choose, the denial of sin. Um, Pippa read this well, especially the last bit, which I think is it's all... This, uh, I think the, the people who translated the Bible into English, if we were actually to translate it more directly from the Hebrew, it would be 2PG maybe uh, to be read. Um, can you say, I am not defiled? I have not run after the balls. See how you behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat, who can restrain her? Any male that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time, they will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. I am not defiled. This is fine. This is fine. <laughs> Perhaps it's not sin itself that kills us, but it's the denial of sin. Perhaps this is very obvious when uh, we think of the predicament of an alcoholic. Being an alcoholic doesn't have to kill you. Many alcoholics go on to live very well-balanced lives for their family or their work. Um, But those who live in denial of the disease of their addiction, uh, who cover their tracks, who tell lies, who refuse to listen to loved ones, to take responsibility or to get help... uh, it, it, it is that that can kill people or tremendously harm them. And I think uh, this is quite close for many of us. It could be you personally or you have friends or family members who you've seen become like a hungry ghost, uh, who, who, um, who you've seen become less of the person they were because of a disease that afflicts them. And, uh, I, you know, the end of this passage, I've, I've been there so many times. It's no use. It's no use. <laughs> I probably wouldn't use this language. I love foreign gods <laughs> and I must go after them. But I've said as much to myself, uh, a sense of helplessness. I have a problem. Um, I, uh, I love watching films but I will always fall asleep in the last 10 minutes if I watch them at night Uh, it's infuriating for me and it's infuriating for whoever's watching with me (laughs) and they see me succumb and it always is at the climax of the film there's loads of films that I don't know how they end (laughs) sometimes I have to watch the last 10 minutes the next the next day and I tell myself stories while it's happening it's so familiar but I don't learn my lessons I'm I'm thinking, oh, this is so good. I'm so chilled. I'm so comfortable. Isn't it great about films? You don't just have to watch them. Most of it is listening. You can can close your eyes and you still get all the benefit of the dialogue. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) you have that for about five minutes and then oblivion. (laughs) Um, And that's funny. 
more difficultly, I've also found myself having the same conversation while driving at night. Y- yeah, and that's actually only once where it's been really dangerous um, and I had to pull over and just sleep for a bit. But it, you tell yourself stories. Uh, you know, this, this is helpless. And I know, you know that's not quite the same of running after a foreign god. But um, the way that I convince myself that this is fine. Um, we have a choice. We can live in denial of those areas of our lives or we can choose to make an honest inventory of how we want to live, the values we want to live by and whether our choices and our patterns actually live up to that and invite God and other people to join you in conversation and exploring and what uh, might uh, true freedom perhaps look like. Uh, and it, this isn't necessarily thinking about very dark things. It could be thinking about quite small things. Uh, um, things about really wanting to make it within your job, but actually it becomes quite a problem because it, 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 it's eating you up uh, inside. Things, things like that. How do you know if you are running after other gods? So I was thinking, you probably have to just ask some questions. Um, Are there things that you wouldn't want to share with anyone, even with a close friend? So your best friend, are there just things that you just wouldn't want to talk about? Um, If you're honest, are there things that you actively try to hide? It could be like gabble mate, uh, purchases, or it could be places you go, people you see, um, things you eat or drink. It could be your internet history. Are there things that you previously thought were not good for you, but you've told yourself stories and have come to the place where actually this no longer plagues you with guilt? It's fine. This is fine. Um, but just to say on that is I know for myself and for counseling many other people, uh, just because you feel guilty about something doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually wrong or a problem. I think religious guilt can backfire in all horrible ways and can tie people up in knots. So beware of that too. But if you have felt, as I've been sharing those questions, oh, he's talking about that thing, <laughs> and it will be different for all of us. Um, find a friend to talk to. So often we think we are uniquely trapped in something. But my experience is that such vulnerability with other people allows true friendship. I think, is it, I think it's G.K. Chesterton, or it might be C.S. Lewis, who talks about true friendship when he says, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. How do we drink from God and not the salty water of the counterfeits? For a long time, I thought the answer to this question was behavioral management. If I could do just a bit better, manage my environment, try very hard, I can beat these things. And this is all very important. And any pathway uh, away from those things that hurt us will involve the exercise of our wills. But willpower is actually pretty flimsy. 
Um, if you've anyone who's tried to do uh, like a marathon training program or a diet or anything like that will find that willpower alone, uh, all it needs is um, uh, six hours sleep instead of eight, and um, it's pretty much, yeah, wrecked. Um, I also think willpower and behavioral management is not the medicine that God puts on offer for us as followers of Jesus. This is the path out of any pit that we find ourselves. Identity, desire, and grace. I'm going to read um, from verse 5 of chapter 2. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. He brought us out of Egypt. Israel were reminded, encouraged to remember again and again the story of their deliverance, how they were slaves in Egypt, but God brought them to freedom through the Exodus in the promised land. Before God gave the law at Sinai, he rescued them from Egypt. He is the God of grace first. His mercy triumphs over judgment. For us, it's resting in the great truth of the Exodus brought about by the cross of Jesus, that we've been rescued, not by behavioral management, but by a great power. We have been transferred from the dominion of darkness and oppression under sin into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom there is perfect freedom. It's about cultivating our desire for God. Sure, there may be desire for other things, most of them good, not problems. But, and I think this is so interesting, the difference between Eastern religion with Buddhism, of which I think Gabor Mate is a Buddhist. Um, there's so much wisdom there. But it's about, freedom looks like transcending appetites, transcending desire. Whereas true Christian faith, even though sometimes this has been corrupted, um, often, often the gospel sounds little more than behavioral management. And when that happens, that's really sad and wrong. Actually, it's about plumbing the depths of desire. It's really getting underneath these things that fire you and it Allowing the desire for God to grow above all things else and the love for him. And then all these other desires can flourish as well in a holy, good and lovely way. As we focus the more on our desire for God, these other things grow less or, or grow in the right order and in the right way. What's that um, uh, line, uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. I think that's true, but I also think as we turn to Jesus, the things of this world grow even more beautiful, <laughs> and um, 
They, they take on a, I know what the song's saying, but um, they grow, can grow brighter, but not in a way that distracts us from God, but in a way that we, helps us enjoy him. It's also leaning into our identity as daughters and sons of a, beloved daughters and sons of a heavenly father who loves us. And just in finishing, uh, the passage begins by talking almost uh, like a teenage love interest between Yahweh and Israel. Um, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me. And it talks about this connection that they, that they had. And there might be for us as followers of Jesus, it's, um, it's funny how the Christian life goes, the journey. There's times where you feel, I have felt consoled and full of God, but perhaps more times where I felt dry and empty and longing for him. There's that lovely Psalm 51, uh, Psalm of Confession with King David when after the great um, fall with Bathsheba and Uriah. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. That he can make all things new wherever you find yourself and wherever you find yourself with him. If you think, oh, remember what it was like when I was at uni. How much I loved God. Or remember that season of my life after I came back from new wine, or after I was baptized, or any of these things, after, after uh, um, uh, we had our first child, or, you know, or, or whatever, that time where you just felt that really connected with him. He can make it like it was new. That was his desire with Israel. If you feel estranged from him, or trapped in something, then talk to him. And I think talk to others. I think that's really important. To other people know uh, the state of your soul. <laughs> you know, if, is there at least one other person who knows uh, the last time you did that thing or the, the, the questions that you have? It doesn't have to be everyone. Don't let it all hang out with everyone. But maybe just one or two or three people who know how you are, you let them in. I'm going to close with this. Uh, I heard this recently. Of uh, um, anyone ever find themselves on Christian YouTube? A strange place. <laughs> but there's some really good stuff on there too. You get to see sermons from other churches. Um, and uh, I was watching a talk from uh, a guy called Craig Rochelle, who is. If Action Man was a preacher, it might be Craig Rochelle. <laughs> it's an American guy. But he said this at the end of a talk um, that, uh, you know, and it says that the, the prayer of a, a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, if any of you are ill, then ask the elders to come and pray for you and, and you'll be restored. And he said that uh, forgiveness comes from talking with God. God forgiving you, but often healing comes through talking with other people, the prayers of uh, righteous friends talking with you. It's not that healing can't come just through God, of course it could, but the process of traumas, the process of uh, uncovering the wounds that we have in life, 
which I believe are often the reason we run after counterfeit gods. Uh, we need to do that with other people. Could be, could be therapist, counselor, but I think also with the saints, with one, two or three people, might be people even in this room, in which you can share life in a deep way, share struggles, share joys. Um, do people really know how you are? Uh, that's a great challenge to myself as well. Um, let's pray. Lord, may we come to you, the fount of living water, and recognize in repentance and confession those things that we substitute for you, especially when we're tired or things we get trapped in. Lord, help us uncover the wounds that we have received from life and bring healing to them, Lord. Help us devote ourselves to you above all things. Desire you. Lord, may desire not be diminished in us, but grow. Grow like a burning fire that burns for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.